The scripture for this morning's message is Mark chapter 15, verses 33 to 39. The title of the message this morning is Increasing Our Love and Gratitude for Jesus. Let me give you the setting for the scripture we're going to look at. The Jews have rejected Jesus. His friends have abandoned him. Pilate has sacrificed him for political gain. Now he is suspended between heaven and earth, nailed to a cross. And the scripture we read this morning tells us what happened while Jesus was hanging on that cross. Mark 15, verses 33 to 39. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. And when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus, uttering a loud cry, breathed his last. The veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was God's son. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to the word of God today knowing that you have a divine word for this people. This day. There's something you wish to communicate to us. So I pray, God, that you would. By your spirit, enable me to speak clearly the word of God. By your spirit, enable each person to hear accurately clearly the word of God. Do your work in this people through the preaching of your word. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Please be seated. There's a TV commercial that has a young man who's struggling with whether or not he should go through with an arranged marriage. This is a man who's moved to America, but he's from a country where all marriages are arranged. And his parents have arranged a marriage for him and his bride is supposed to be coming to America to be with him. But he's been in America long enough. He's having second thoughts about this whole arranged marriage thing. And he doesn't know if he should go through with it. He's never seen this woman, never met her, doesn't know anything about her. But the day she is to fly into the airport, he decided that he would go and do his duty he went and he dutifully waited for her and he had his flowers in hand, but he, to tell you the truth, he had kind of a gloomy expression on his face. But when she stepped through the terminal, everything changed. She was absolutely beautiful. She was stunning. Suddenly his glum demeanor disappeared. The thought of marrying this woman was no longer a dreaded duty. He was delighted at the thought of marrying her. 
What had changed? He'd seen her. Sometimes you and I as Christians can get in the habit of just going through the motions in our Christian life out of a sense of duty, not out of delight. But the reality is the Christian life should be lived out of an overflow of love and gratitude for Jesus. Obedience and faithfulness to Jesus should be driven by delight in Jesus. It should never be just done out of a sense of duty. If you're born again today, there is at least a spark of love and gratitude for Jesus in you. But how can you fan that spark into flame? How can you increase your love and gratitude for Jesus? How can you get to the place that you're not walking in your Christian walk out of a sense of duty, but truly out of a delight, out of an overflow of love and gratitude? Maybe just the thing we need is to see Him. Maybe... Just the thing we need to increase our love and gratitude for Jesus is for us to see Him. So today we're going to take a fresh look at our Savior. Specifically, we're going to take a fresh look at Jesus' death on the cross. And my prayer that it's as we do, you will find your love and gratitude for Jesus increase and burn brighter and hotter than it ever has. There are three things we see when we look at Jesus' death on the cross. Here's the first one. On the cross, Jesus died alienated from God. On the cross, Jesus died alienated from God. Now, the physical suffering that Jesus endured is worse than any suffering you and I could ever imagine. But the worst of Jesus' suffering wasn't the physical suffering. Verse 33 tells us that at approximately noon it grew dark and the darkness lasted till 3 o'clock. So Jesus is put on the cross about 9 o'clock in the morning. At about noon the land goes dark and stays that way for three hours. Something you need to understand, in the Bible, darkness during the day is a sign of God's judgment. In the book of Amos, God declares that He's going to bring judgment against the nation of Judah because of their sinfulness. They have broken their covenant with God over and over. They have been unfaithful to Him too many times to count. They've rejected His commands. And God says He's going to bring judgment against them. But I want you to listen to the way he describes the day their judgment will come. This is in Amos chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. It will be in that day, declares the Lord, 
that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Then I will overturn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring up sackcloth on everyone's loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son and the end of it will be like a bitter day. He says this day of judgment it's going to be marked by the sun going down at new dark and broad daylight. Another example of that is the ninth plague against Egypt. You remember the ten plagues? What was the ninth one? It was darkness. Now remember in the plagues, God is bringing judgment against Egypt, Pharaoh and, and the nation of Egypt because of their cruelty to Israel. Exodus 10, 21 and 22. Then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. So as Jesus is hanging on the cross, what's this darkness about? What is God trying to communicate by making the sun go dim? God is making it clear that as Jesus hangs on the cross, the judgment of God is on him. Now look at verse 34. It's approximately three o'clock. Jesus has been on the cross for six hours. And with a loud cry, he quotes from Psalm 22, 1. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Six hours after he was placed on the cross, three hours of darkness, and Jesus feels abandoned by God. Now, Mark puts an emphasis on the way Jesus utters this cry. Did you notice it? He, he puts a double emphasis there. He says he cried out with a loud voice. He's emphasizing the way Jesus Christ. Why is he doing that? He wants us to see and feel the depth of Jesus' emotion. He wants us to feel the intensity of Jesus' agony in this moment. Let me read you what one Bible commentator said. Jesus' shout is not merely of an expression of emotion. In view of his previous emphasis on the necessity of his death, on God's purpose for his mission that he become a ransom for many, on his sacrificial pouring out of his blood which inaugurates the new covenant, and on knowing that his death means God striking the sun according to the scripture. Jesus' shout is the acknowledgement that his abandonment by God is real. Did you catch that? Jesus' shout is his acknowledgement that his abandonment by God is real. Remember this, sin separates us from God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they were exiled from the Garden. They were separated, removed from the presence of God. When Israel broke its covenant with God, they were what? Exiled, sent into a foreign land, away from the promised land, away from the presence of God in the temple. You see, that's what's happening on the cross. Jesus is enduring the reality of being exiled from his Father 
as a result of our sin being placed on him. Rejected and scorned by the people of Israel, sacrificed as a political pawn by Rome, denied and abandoned even by his own followers, Jesus is wholly forsaken and exposed to the horror of humanity's sin. It's a horror that is so complete that in his dying breath, he senses his separation from God. What's happening on the cross is exactly what Paul spoke about in Romans 3, 24 and 25. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Now catch this. Paul says God displayed Christ as a propitiation publicly. What is a propitiation? What that means is, God poured out all of His wrath against our sin. All of His judgment against our sin. All the punishment our sin deserves. All of it was poured out on His Son. And He did it publicly for the whole world to see. That's what was happening on the cross. Jesus was enduring the wrath of God that we deserve. What did Jesus suffer on the cross? For the first time in all eternity, Jesus felt what it was like to be alienated from his Father. That's why Jesus had to become human, you understand? Jesus is one-third of the Trinity. He's part of the Godhead. There's no division in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are one. They're indivisible. You can't separate them. That's why Jesus had to become man. Because it's in becoming human that Jesus was able to suffer as a human, to suffer alienation from God. Separation from God. Hanging on the cross as a man. Jesus experienced for the first time the horror of being separated from God by sin. Not His sin, but our sin. You'll notice in verse 35, when Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, the, the people misunderstood Him. They thought He was saying, Eli, Eli, which would be Elijah. They thought Jesus is calling for Elijah to come and help Him, rescue Him. So in verse 36, you'll notice they bring him a sponge with sour wine, put it up on a reed and give it to him. What are they doing? Well, they want to hydrate him. They want to keep him alive long enough to see if Elijah will actually come and rescue him. But no one was coming to rescue Jesus. Not Elijah. Not a host of angels. Nobody. Jesus would die on that cross and he would die alienated from God because of our sin. He did that for you. He was alienated from God so you wouldn't have to spend eternity shut out of the presence of God. 
Don't you love him? Aren't you grateful? On the cross, Jesus died alienated from God. But why? Notice this. On the cross, Jesus died to provide access to God. On the cross, Jesus died to provide access to God. We've already seen that Jesus died on the cross, suffering, suffering the separation from God that our sin deserves. But what did that accomplish? Well, we see that in verses 37 to 38. Jesus utters a loud cry and he breathes his last breath. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what that last cry was. We know from the other Gospels that Jesus said a couple of things. One thing Jesus said, it is finished. Another thing Jesus said was, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, it really doesn't matter which of those cries Mark is referring to. What Mark wants us to see is that Jesus died, and he wants to emphasize what happened at the moment of Jesus' death. Verse 38, look at it. The veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. He's talking about the veil in the temple. Now, the temple of Jesus' day actually had two curtains, two veils. Veil is a curtain. There was one curtain that separated the courtyard of the temple from the holy place. The holy place is where the priests went to burn incense, offer incense offerings to God. There was a second curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, also called the Holy of Holies. The inner curtain. That's the one that was torn. Now, this is what I need you to see. Inside the Holy of Holies, no one could enter. You see, in there is where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is where it was believed that the very presence of God dwelt with His people. The only one who could go in the Holy of Holies was the high priest, and that was only once a year on the Day of Atonement. He would go in to offer sacrifice for his sin and for the sin of the people, and he would leave. And at no other point could anyone enter into the presence of God. I want you to think about this. The veil, it, it, it reminds us that sinful people are separated from a holy God. You with me? You can't go beyond that veil. In your sinful state, you cannot enter the presence of of God. Sin is a barrier that bars us from having access to God. But when Jesus took his last breath, when his heart stopped for the last beat, when he was fully and finally dead, the Bible says the veil was torn from top to bottom, torn in two. Keep in mind, this curtain was not like the curtains you have at home. It was almost a foot thick. And it was torn from top to bottom, meaning no human could have done that. No human could have torn it that way. This was an act of God. Listen to what one Bible commentator wrote. 
The tearing of the veil signifies that at the death of Jesus, the veil between God and humanity is removed. The Holy of Holies, which was believed to contain the very presence of Yahweh, is made accessible not by the high priest's sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, but by the atonement of Jesus on the cross. Don't miss the message here. By dying on the cross, alienated from His Father, Jesus was giving us access to God. God tore the veil of the temple, opening the Holy of Holies for all to see, to signify that the way into God's presence has now been opened by His Son, by the death of His Son. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, 19-22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Now, I want you to listen to what he's saying. We can now confidently enter the presence of God. We can draw near to God. How? This is what he says. By a new and living way which Jesus inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. He's saying Jesus' body is like that veil that kept people out of God's presence. And when Jesus' body was torn, broken, that's what opened the presence of God. What he's saying to us is simply this. By his death, Jesus opened the way for us into the very presence of God. Now, we know from the very first Bible verse we learned, John 3, 16, that Jesus died to give us eternal life. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. We know that He died to give us eternal life. What is eternal life? John 17, 3 tells us. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says eternal life is knowing God. He's talking about knowing God in a personal way. So what, what we find out is Jesus died so that we could know God in a personal way. So you could have a close, intimate relationship with God. Do you get that? Jesus died to give you a close, personal, intimate relationship with God. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, you have the very presence of God with you and living in you. That means you can go to God at any time for any reason without any fear of being turned away. That means you can experience God as your Father who provides for you and protects you, and guides you, and disciplines you. That means you can know and experience the presence of God in His nearness in times of difficulty and in times of joy. You can have His peace in seasons of pleasure, in seasons of pain. Listen, because Jesus died alienated from God, you now have access to God. You can have sweet fellowship with God. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go to a temple. 
anytime and anywhere you can be with God because He is with you and He is in you. How is that possible? How can any human being enjoy that kind of access to God? Simple. You have access to God because Jesus was alienated from God. Listen, Jesus removed the sin that shut you out of God's presence. And he did it by taking it upon himself in the cross. Instead of you being alienated from God forever, Jesus was alienated from God in your place on the cross. Don't you love it? Aren't you grateful? On the cross, Jesus died alienated from God. Jesus died to provide access to God. Now notice this. On the cross, Jesus died as the Son of God. Verse 39. Something you need to understand today. Jesus wasn't just an innocent man who went to the cross in place of a guilty man. Oh no. Jesus is the very Son of the living God. In verse 39, we are introduced to a Roman centurion. When the centurion who was standing right in front of Jesus saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's Son. This is a Roman soldier who was in charge of the execution squad. There would be a squad of soldiers who carried out the execution. They were experts. They'd done this hundreds of times. And he was in charge of the squad. Mark tells us he was standing right in front of Jesus. Literally, it means he was standing opposite Jesus. In other words, the centurion had a front row seat for Jesus' death. When he saw the way Jesus died, he said, truly, this man was God's son. Uh, that, that poses a question. What is it about Jesus' death that made such an impression on this man? Maybe it was the darkness in the middle of the day. Maybe it was the way Jesus cried. It is finished when a man who is weakened and can hardly breathe could somehow muster the strength to make a loud cry and then breathe his last. Maybe that was it. Somehow, the things Jesus said and the way Jesus died on the cross convinced this Roman soldier that this Jesus was not the rebel and insurrectionist that they had accused him of being. No. He had to be something more. There's only one explanation. He must be the Son of God. The Jewish leaders said that was blasphemy. The disciples believed in Jesus, but they still didn't really get it. They didn't really know who he was. Instead, a Roman soldier, the very one in charge of crucifying Jesus, he is the first person in Mark's gospel to call Jesus the Son of God. The first one. Now, 
it's not likely he understood all that that meant theologically. He probably didn't have a well-developed understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. But somehow, not by watching Jesus' life, but somehow by watching Jesus' death, he knew this is God's Son. According to John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus is God-made flesh who came to dwell with us. Matthew 1.23 says He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says that in Jesus all the fullness of God dwells bodily. When we say Jesus is the Son of God, what we're saying is Jesus has the same nature as God. In other words, Jesus is Himself God. That is exactly what Jesus meant in John chapter 10, verse 30, when He said, I and the Father are what? One. Inseparably united. To say Jesus is the Son of God means Jesus has the nature and character of God. Jesus is Himself God, now don't you miss what I'm saying to you here. The one who died for you on the cross was, is, and will always be God. That's what Paul's telling us in Philippians 2. You remember what Philippians 2 beginning in verse 5 says? Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What does that mean? That means Jesus, even though He was equal with God, He willingly took on human flesh, became like one of us, and He humbled Himself and obeyed the Father even to the extent that He went to die on the cross. For God to become a human is humbling enough, but then to go to the cross and suffer in our place that's almost unfathomable. What are we saying? Don't miss this. Think about it. Jesus is God. That means, on the cross, God was enduring His own wrath against sin. Let me say that another way. On the cross, God was punishing Himself for your sin. Did you hear that? On the cross, God was punishing Himself for your sin. If Jesus is God, and He is, who was the Father punishing when He poured out His wrath on Jesus? God. God was punishing Himself for your sin. It's not enough just to say, 
Jesus died for you, you have to understand who Jesus was. Jesus was God giving himself for sinful, rebellious humans. He did that so you could have access to him. I ask you again, don't you love him? Aren't you grateful? What do we see when we look at the cross? What was really happening there? Listen, what I'm trying to say to you today is this. Our love and gratitude for Jesus increases when we realize that on the cross, the Son of God was alienated from God so we could have access to God. When you let that truth sink in, that becomes fuel for your love and gratitude for Him. It makes you love Him more. It makes you want to thank Him more. When you really realize that God went to the cross, was alienated from His Father so that we can have access to God. Close your eyes with me for just a minute. I want you to picture Him there. I want you to see in your mind your Lord Jesus on the cross. He's broken. He's bleeding. He's barely recognizable. Now try to imagine the darkness. It's the middle of the day. But the darkness is so thick you can almost feel it. The sun is dimmed as the wrath of God against humanity's sin has been placed on the Son of God. A sense of abandonment that he has never known in all of eternity overtakes him. He can no longer sense the nearness of his Father. He's been exiled. He's been alienated from God because of your sin. You see him? Suspended between heaven and earth. With a loud cry, he draws his last breath. And in that moment, the doors to the very throne room of God are swung open. God the Father invites you to come to Him. He invites you to live in a close personal relationship with Him. He is your Father. You as His child. He is your shepherd. You as His sheep. For the first time, you can glorify and enjoy God the way you were created to. You now have access to God. How in the world is that possible? Jesus. The cross. That's how it's possible. Don't you love him? Aren't you grateful? Let's pray.